Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Ah, not so hot. Oh, no. What's up? Well, I've, I think I've actually reached the point where I'm kind of resigned to my bad day, and now I kind of I find it mildly amusing. Oh, no. It's, it's turned into black comedy. What's happened? <laughs> no, it's not that bad. Uh, no, I was, um, uh, I was up late finishing my article last night. Uh, very late, so my apologies to my subscribers. Um, but it's it actually it was almost the problem was I there was so many angles to title the music service. Maybe we'll get to it. We touched on a lot of it last week um, that I almost I couldn't I couldn't get it focused. Um, but anyhow, uh, so I was up late. So I woke up this morning. I was a little you know a little out of it, but still powered through. Uh, got my daughter off to school. Went to work out, and I was you know I was moving kind of slow. Um, but it's okay. I, I was I thought I had a call, but the call got canceled. So I'm like, oh, I could, I could take my time. Um, mosey on out, get to my, get to my scooter. I get this call from, call from my wife. Where are you? Forgetting that she had to go to my daughter's school, uh, at, at nine o'clock. And so, um, so of course, so I'm hustling back and I'm riding my scooter probably too quickly. Uh-oh. Uh, Uh-oh. and I, I, I come in and I pull up and I start going in and, and, and my mother-in-law is outside and she's like, Oh, come help me carry this stuff. I'm like, I can't just a second. <laughs> so I run upstairs I run upstairs and then she's just, then I hear my, my mother-in-law just like, just like yelling at me. And then, and then, so my wife goes and she's of course mad at me. Um, cause I totally forgot about being, being back on time. And then she, and then, and I come down and I carry stuff and then she just goes off on me. You're driving your scooter too fast. You're going to get an accident. And like last week, someone was driving very fast on the sidewalk and almost hit my daughter. I was really mad and yelled at her. She's like, you yelled at that person last week and you did the same thing. <laughs> And so, and so then, and so then I help them carry stuff and then I carry stuff and then she like, yell, she's yelling like the whole time. Uh, and then, and then I, we go back, uh, we, like we were very close to them. So we went over there for, for one, just over there for lunch later. And of course she's right back at it, yelling at me and all this knowing that my wife's going to be back soon and she's going to be, and then I'm going to oh, be in trouble dear. again. Um, so yeah, uh, it was my, it was, You've been getting it from both ears by the sounds of it. Yeah, well, it's funny. I think I think my wife was appreciative that I probably had enough, so she was very gracious when she came <laughs> back. Um, so, I, I thanks. Very good. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I. But um, other than being yelled at by my mother-in-law, um, uh, I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. Okay, I'll try not to provoke you too much. How about that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did appreciate that you um you you found. Uh, great pleasure and enjoyment and double posted both on Facebook and Twitter about uh, a BuzzFeed story. I almost, when I posted it to um, either, I, I even tagged you in the Facebook one. I almost said, Ben, you win. Like I finally, that finally cracked me. I finally posted my first BuzzFeed article to social media. I almost, I, I tagged you in it. I almost just like, okay, I give up. You win. And just to, just as an example of how you know I can have more grace when I'm not in the middle of a debate, uh, I I strongly resisted the temptation <laughs> to comment on your Facebook post. <laughs> uh, it would have been hilarious. I, there was a, I, this is why I tagged you. It was a, a slight bit of provocation. In fact, I, I I did this on Instagram earlier on during the week. Someone posted something about BuzzFeed, some BuzzFeed article, and I was like, "Oh, hey Ben, it's like the the most important news organization of our generation, right?" And it was one of those uh, hilarious BuzzFeed. I won't say clickbait, but just one of those hilarious BuzzFeed articles that it's like a, a little less serious, right? Um, so yeah, it was it was it seemed to be the week of BuzzFeed. You wrote something really cool on it not too long ago, actually. 
Well, backing up, what triggered the, I mean, everyone's probably seen it at this point. It's already up to like 2.7 million views or something like that. Um, but, uh, what was the article that tickled your fancy? <laughs> this was this story about how a Buzzfeed reporter had his bar, his phone, iPhone stolen in the East village, in a bar in the East village in New York. And then a couple of months later, uh, the iCloud services kicked in and started posting photos from the or sharing photos that were taken on the phone to what I guess must have either been his computer or his phone because uh, the thief had obviously not disabled the iCloud uh, account. And this these photos eventually made it onto social media. They made it over to Weibo. Weibo started this... <laughs> crazy let's find out who this man is someone recognized him and the story just gets more and more insane he like this guy the the buzzfeed reporter goes over to china to meet the 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 guy who's got the phone they become uh, i at first minor and then almost like major celebrities in this town where there's a week of them just walking around the town being flocked like that kim kardashian and co uh, it, it, it's um it, what was really cool though was like the friendship that forms between the buzzfeed reporter and the man who ended up who, who ended up buying the phone from who who was what the the who was the thief um he didn't actually steal the phone he just bought it thinking it was a secondhand phone but like the the there was just a heartwarming nature to it. It was so, um, it was, <laughs> it was so well done, wasn't it? It was really well done, but it was so unlikely and so heartwarming. Like they did a really good job with it, and they also had, I think they had some some like this. It wasn't just playing out in one culture; it was playing out in two cultures. It was playing out in America, and it was playing out in China, and just the whole like massive difference in cultures but like finding the common ground like just on so many levels it was a it was a really heartwarming article so um you i think you mentioned on twitter like if you weren't sure if you believed it but um i can tell you like i 100 percent believe every like oh i i do i was i was being a little bit tongue-in-cheek i also was at first i was like is this real but uh, there's no way they could have staged it. it it's i i completely agree it's it's totally it's 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 not manu it, well uh-huh. well this i mean this stuff i mean you you think that there's memes and stuff on 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 our internet like it is it's unbelievable the way this stuff can blow up on on the chinese internet um and and you see this in in it, often it, it leaks out in the west on political angles when you know something blows up or or and the government quickly moves just moves to tamp it down or whatever and that's usually when like reporters report on it um, but no, this idea of like, there's being something just blowing up then people getting like super locked into it. And then, and then the, the media following, uh, on, on it and being all over it and all the camera people and all that sort of stuff like this totally happens. Um, it's just rare that, uh, I mean, it's all the vir- viral nature of the internet combined with the population that that's living on their, f- living on their phones. Um, the, the way stuff spreads, um, I mean, this was on Weibo, uh, but I'm sure it also got spread through WeChat and stuff like that. It's in, it's 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 pretty incredible how how quickly it can oh. do it, and they're doing it with a billion people. I mean, it's just oh. the, this, the mass and scale of it is is pretty amazing. Just little anecdotes about it. Like he ended up in this uh, third tier city that nobody's ever heard of that just happens to have 4.2 million people in it, which is crazy. And and he was flying in on the plane from Beijing to this city 
and he, someone recognized him on the plane and wrote him like a little note, come sit up the back with me and be my friend. And it's like- I, I wanna, oh. I, He never answered if he actually went to the back of the plane. I was super curious yeah, about that. No, but it's just, and then he gets there and it literally all the cameras and everything, it's crazy. It's so good. If you're listening, you've got to, it's a long read, but it's totally worth it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stick it in the notes. Um, what, what's, what, what, I, what I love about this beyond the, it's a, it really is a delightful story and, and, and it's heartwarming is, um, and kind of like his big theme is like, you know, the idea of, of fate and destiny and, and, you know, which is, which is definitely a, um, a strain that I think is, is, is stronger on, on this part of the world in, 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 in particular. Um, but you know, one could say, oh, like, isn't it lucky that it happened to be a BuzzFeed employee that lost his phone and that this happened to, right? And, um, and, and I think this is the attitude people will have, like, and why did the BuzzFeed, like, why did BuzzFeed just happen to have the dress post that blew up? Like, I think you get to a point where, um, isn't it's it no funny how all this lucky stuff starts, keeps on happening to BuzzFeed? Yeah, your point is well made. It's, <laughs> there's yeah it can be lucky yeah it I can mean, be lucky a little bit but it starts getting beyond luck after a while right right because what's amazing about this is i mean you could see this happening to someone else and even having um you know well first off the the main reason it spread is because he posted to buzzfeed in the first place like who's this guy posting who's this guy posting photos on my phone like that was the article on buzzfeed and that's how that's how it got picked up in china in the first place so that was just as like if he's just posting it somewhere, I doubt it gets picked up. And like that was one of my first points about BuzzFeed, and and I think this is where all this stuff and people in like you mailing me mailing me these silly stories saying, "Oh, most important organization." But like, what's the come what, on? I'm, I'm no, I know, like, I know. But I'm, you, I'm, I'm mildly provoking you as opposed to believing that. Hey, and let, allow me <laughs> allow me to embrace the provokingness. Um, yeah, okay. But why why not? Like this, like. It is such a newspaper mindset to to feel that it's my job to judge what is newsworthy and what isn't. You know, it's funny. I, I remember going to, I'm not going to mention uh, uh, who, <laughs> who it was for, but I, I remember going to this uh, information, uh, inter, in, information day for um, a certain school and one of the one of the people got up and like it was an alum and people were asking you know I'm not sure if I'm good enough to apply is it something I should do and this alum stood up and looked at him and delivered with this perfectly straight face don't rule yourself out let us do that for you <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's this it's this I, I think you're right like that they, they um it's you, you let a thousand flowers bloom on this stuff and there's all this all this amazing content on the site and some of it's some of it will never go anywhere but well, you've what, got to what have you lost like right exactly you you wonder how many like how many uh is it false negatives that that a regular site like uh, a, a, a traditional editorial site like they could have had one of these articles that went viral but an editor looks at it and is like no let's not do that that's that's ridiculous we can't run that that's exactly it I and mean, like we've talked a lot about like with like internet economics you have to rethink the way you you structure your business right this is the same idea but but applied applied to content like what is the cost of like when he put up that stupid post, like who's this guy taking photos? Like who's this guy posting oranges on my phone? Like what was the cost? It took him 
10, 15 minutes put together, maybe less because BuzzFeed has fantastic like tools where you can put a post up really quickly, really easily. Mm-hmm. So like, so let's say, it, let's say it took him 15 minutes and let's say he makes, I don't know, 30 bucks an hour. So it cost BuzzFeed $7 and 50 cents to put that post up. Like, I mean, I, I mean, if you, and you think about the return that they're getting, cause I mean, the bandwidth didn't cost anything like all, none of this cost anything. And, and like, uh, and, and now the return that they're getting on that, and it's not just that too. It's that once, once it was up there because they've done this so many times, like they know it had the best, everything that goes up there, no matter how stupid or crappy it is, has relative to anyone else, the best possible chance to succeed because Buzzfeed is, is a learning organization They're like, they're yeah. constantly learning what works and what doesn't. And, um, and, and so everything that goes up, it's always better and better in a, in a, uh, technical sense if that makes sense and by technical i mean not not computer technical but technical in like how is the post constructed how is it put together like how like and and so everything that goes up has the best possible chance to succeed because of that and then you put a whole bunch up um like you're you're just you're not just not only increasing your odds you're also tilting the table in your favor all at the same time and and then they they get they get the sniff of a story and they're like oh wow we weren't expecting this one to do well but it's got a bunch of traffic I wonder how much deeper down the rabbit hole we can take this well not just that I mean th- this one they did take multiple multiple steps right well that's the other thing too is like like once once this once this took off like no, they seized it like a dog yeah. on a bone right <laughs> and no but they did and like and now it's building this thing and now they're making a freaking movie out of it. No, I, but, but think about, think about that. Like they are, they're going, they're going to have this, they're going to get millions of views on a movie, uh, at how much cost, like, n- I'm, like nothing. Yeah. And this is, this is so fundamentally transformative to the way media is, is done and created. And, and it's going to be super compelling and it's going to be very well done and everyone's going to watch it and it will have all up cost them like couple hundred thousand dollars yeah i mean they have a built-in audience right they they like it's it's almost like these articles are like climbing they're they're climbing the pyramid you put a whole bunch of stuff at the base and you see which one gets to the next level and eventually you get something like this that that has a whole narrative and an audience and you just take it to the next level it's like we're not just going to write about it we're going to film a movie right and and they're prepared right like they're they're ready to take advantage. Like it's it's almost like the stuff we talk about with our career almost, right? It, like you don't want to like you don't build an editorial plan for your for your newspaper. That's the old way of doing stuff because you had constraints, right? When you had a printing press and all this sort of stuff, you were fundamentally constrained in certain ways, which meant you had to have more top down direction. But if yep. you have no constraints, then you can do a much more bottom up sort of approach where you just focus on. Like literally, this is exact stuff we said about yourself. Focus on yourself. How can you do better? How can you figure stuff out? How can you improve your capability so that when the opportunity comes along, you a will recognize it, and b you will maximize your the opportunity. That's a, I I love it when we go nested like this. It's exactly the same thing, and that's what they're doing. They're like learning, getting better, and then being apertures wide open, like letting lots of content out there and then something something hits, the aperture narrows. They start focusing on it and pushing it and pushing it. And yeah, I mean, this thing, I mean, how many views did you say it's got? Uh, I was at 2.7 million this morning, I think. That's, um, that's nuts. Just nuts. But yeah, but the, the um, 
I mean, so this gets back to like uh, the luck and fate thing. Because first off, I don't think it would have happened with anyone else because it required that first article going up, which required the freedom to post stuff that may may not go anywhere. Right. Right. So the, just at the, the there was there is a gate at the beginning of this story that would have existed at almost every other news organization that did not exist at BuzzFeed. Mm. Number two, they were they had all the tools and capabilities in place to take advantage of this and run with it. And then number three, they had the aptitude and 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 like this is also a skill. Like they know what works, and they know what stuff's taking off, they know what to do with it to maximize it. And so, yes, isn't it amazing how BuzzFeed gets these amazing viral stories? But it's it's actually it's very much a matter of making your own destiny and making your own fate. And you do that not by having a top-down approach, you do that by focusing on yourself, being prepared, learning, constantly improving. And then when that opportunity comes, bam, you grab it and run with it. Mm, that's a, that's a really good way of, a really good way of framing it. I have a question. Have you seen any of their tools, their internal tools? Like there, there's, I don't know if you have, and if you have, I don't know if you can talk about it, but there's all this talk about how the tools and the, the learning organization, I, I, I understand it conceptually, but if you're a writer sitting down to write one day at BuzzFeed, like, and you're about to log on to the system, what is it that the system shows you that gives you an edge over your competition? I, I don't know. Um, I, I have no idea, except that I've heard that it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, just, just, uh, I mean, I use WordPress like a ton of other news organizations. Uh-huh. Um, the vast majority of of blogs that you read and stuff are using WordPress. And quite frankly, if I wanted, I'm sure there's a plugin or something and people made alterations. But if I want to put together a, a listicle, um, mm-hmm. a lot of work, uh, especially when I have a lot of photos and stuff like that. I mean, it works. You can do it. But it it like. It's a burden. Like from and and from what I understand, you go to BuzzFeed and it's trivial. Like it's all it's 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 you just you just do it, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's like removing like it's removing unnecessary friction. Yeah. Uh, and and when you do that, like and that's all part of this, like being able to, like and so you you go back to the well, what's the cost of just posting one more article? Well, we know that it doesn't really cost anything from a a server perspective, and one extra web page is basically free. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've also with, with their tools and all sort of stuff reduced the cost from a human perspective. Cause that is the cost that remains is the guy actually posting it. Right. And it may, it's a big advantage writ large. If it takes someone on a, another news site to do it in 30 minutes, and it takes someone on Buzzfeed to do it 15 minutes. And it's not just the time that's saved. It's also the willingness to do it. Right. If I, if I'm a Buzzfeed writer, like, I see I have this idea and eh, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Oh, it'll only take 15 minutes versus ah, oh, this idea may work, maybe it won't. it'll take 30 minutes, take 45 minutes. Ugh. Like it, maybe I should spend my time doing something else. Like, cause that's the, that's, they do have the internal constraints, their employee time. And, but they, they've, they've optimized, they've optimized it. And, and this is the part that, that is shared. That's what's shared with the advertisers. That's what's shared with their average, you know, their, their native advertising team is all the tools and all the like insight into like what works and what channels to use. And like, I, and quite frankly, like, I don't see how that's any different than a newspaper sharing its actual page with an advertiser. They're just, they're just sharing the tool and, and the, and the uh, canvas they're like, and they're not sharing the actual like writers and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and actually yeah. Jonah Party has been very 
explicit that they value the the division between advertising and editorial very strongly. And they think it's important not just for appearance reasons, but because it will make their content worse. Like their their only job of their writers is to make stuff that resonates and that will delight people. Yeah. And see, when I had my objections to the the, uh, concept of native advertising way back when, I assumed that... uh, well, traditionally, a lot of uh, figuring out what makes something work, what makes an article successful, what makes a, an article go viral is embedded within the head of the person doing it. And I had made the assumption that it was the journalist that is helping the advertiser. So half the time they're writing articles for BuzzFeed and they're they're on BuzzFeed's payroll, but half the time or whatever percentage of the time, they're, they're doing it for the advertisers. And that... That model, should it exist, which it does not, but should it exist, I highly object to because you switch the priorities of the journalist. You start them thinking about like, what's the interesting story or where's the truth if it's, if it's investigative journalism to like, what's the interests of the advertiser? That's where the objection, like that was my big objection to native advertising, but the, the or native content, native advertising in, in native content. And that it's since become very clear that that's not the way BuzzFeed works. And the irony of my criticism of, of all of this is it's, it's since come out in a number of traditional uh, news organizations. I think it was the Telegraph yeah. where a journalist resigned on the basis of the fact that every time the Telegraph Every time HSBC did something wrong, the Telegraph wouldn't cover it because HSBC was such a big advertiser for the Telegraph. Yep, and this is this is why BuzzFeed and this is why BuzzFeed is important. And I actually wrote an update. I kind of regret the headline because it came across as too ironically clickbaity, which I kind of meant as a meta joke, but whatever. Um, but but the but this is why it's important is because the number one way for journalism to become compromised is for them to be desperate for money, right? And and that and what makes BuzzFeed is important is they figure out a way to monetize that's that keeps that independence and and the, the why there why there's something in, the biggest criticism for against BuzzFeed from an investment perspective is that and why people traditionally didn't want to invest in content is you know how does it scale because you actually have to have people actually creating it right and like mm-hmm. people are expensive like Facebook they get people to create content for free mm-hmm. um, but what BuzzFeed has has figured out how to do, and this is exactly what you're getting at, is they've gotten that information out of people's brains mm-hmm. and and systematized it and got it into the collective BuzzFeed brain. Yeah. And so people can tap into the collective BuzzFeed brain, either the advertising team or the journalistic team. And that's the most important part of this is is the 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 system that they've gotten to 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 pull that that knowledge out, which I don't think people realize could be done before. Yeah. And see, that's the, it comes back to my earlier question. And I I think your point around uh, the content management system and being able to create a listicle to reduce the friction. So people are producing more stuff. I think that's an important element of it, but I'm also pretty sure that that's not what they're selling brands like Pepsi. They're selling brands like Pepsi, some implicit knowledge of how to structure or write or where to share an article in such a way that it's much more likely to go viral. And I just, I would be fascinated to, to understand what must be in that system? What oh, it must sure. look like? But that—that—that's that, that, fascinating. That's the secret sauce, though, right? It totally is. But I mean, I, I mean, at some point, like in—I mean, like I said, what, at some point, you have to appreciate that 
you know, you can only roll, you know, 12 on the dice so many times in a row before you realize that maybe the dice is weighted. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it's starting to get to the point where I have, as, as the understanding of how they work, and and reading your article, I think it was a fantastic article, um, a fantastic article explaining the rationale and uh, stripping back and and looking at the 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 business model and how the business model is so important. Um, like a, as you understand better the mechanics of the beast, it becomes clear that yeah, your your article may your article title may have been a little bit clickbaity, but on some level, I actually think you're right. Uh, no, I mean, I don't disown the title. Like, I do believe it is. But it was more the, I inflamed it needlessly, right? You can, you can say something that's true, but you don't necessarily need, need to say it that way. But no, this, then, we've articulated exactly why. When would you inflame something needlessly? I only inflame needlessly on the podcast. I try to not do that <laughs> on, my, on my articles. <laughs> that's just for my benefit, huh? Well, yeah, I didn't tell people to say like, oh, I, I like your stuff. Oh, man, you're such a jerk on the podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. Hilarious. Nah, it's, oh, man, I, it's like, temp- I don't know. What do you have to do to find out what that system must be like? You've got to get a job inside of BuzzFeed to go see it because like, I, it must be fascinating. Well, I mean, yeah. And the other aspect here is it's culture, right? Like mm, what, what yeah. is so powerful about any great company? It's that they have a culture that, that produces the right sort of stuff. Mm. And clearly – Yes, some of it is systemized, some of it's the CMS, some of it is like learning, some of it is I'm sure that like the the data they have and understanding about what works, what doesn't is incredible. Like and they harvest so much data from everything they do. Mm. And 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 they have like some very brilliant people like in their machine learning team or data learning team, data whatever team it is, um that are teasing this stuff out. But part of it too is uh Yes, some of it is just people know how to do it, but they know how to do it not because they are individually brilliant. It's because they've been baking in this culture and marinating in it. Mm. And and you just you just learn. And and that's that with any company is always the hardest thing to copy and the most yeah. highly differentiated part. Like if you find a company with a distinct culture that can consistently deliver like something excellent, like that's a lot harder to mimic than it is to just create a site that looks like BuzzFeed and has listicles. But it's that learning. It's just, it's like this, it's like this entity that it doesn't matter what you do to it. It doesn't matter whether you take its content off its site and host it natively on Facebook. It doesn't matter what you do to it because it's always learning and it's found a way to make money based on selling what it learns that it, it, it just becomes this almost unstoppable force. Yep. So, um, well, I'm glad I feel like I fully converted you. So I'm going to, yeah. um, I'm gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry to yeah, say, yeah. pat myself on the back. Yep. Oh, I'm good. Yep. Well, the, other th- the, other thing that's, the other thing that I think is worth pointing about BuzzFeed, and this is, I understand if you want to criticize them at this point. I mean, their news, first off, they like they have a lot bigger news team than I think people realize, and they're hiring like crazy. Um, and don't remember, they're the ones that broke the the Uber fiasco last year with the, with the, um, the guy that we want fired. Um, <laughs> but... They've done a lot of really, I think, impressive stuff on the news side. But there's no question they culturally and editorially, uh, and Jonah Purdy has said this, they're focused on uplift. Like they want to make people smile. 
Like, and they focus on, on kind of uplifting stuff in general. And it's fascinating that this really bothers journalists in particular. Um, but I mean, there, like, there's a reason newspapers always had the funny pages and there's a reason that they, they had, had the style section. Like people, as I, I read it somewhere, I saw it. I can't remember. I can't give the proper reference, but someone said like, not everyone wants to eat meat and potatoes all the time. You know, like we, 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 people want different stuff in their diet and, and why, why are we so judgmental about the fact that they're really good at delivering stuff that people really enjoy? Like, is it, is it bad to make people smile? No, I, I don't agree, but it's interesting. Again, it's interesting comparing that to the traditional news model, because my understanding of newspapers, for example, is when there was bad news happening, um, people would buy more. Like, like they, they want, their business model is built around bad news and it's almost like something bad or something almost shocking has to happen for to overcome the friction of pulling out your wallet and paying for the money whereas whereas with buzzfeed because it's free and because it's shareable like and it's the, so accessible right you just you just like it, it, it yeah it, in the sort of thing you can you can read a buzzfeed article staying in the line at the grocery store Totally. And it's because, again, I think it's in part because the business model is different. Whereas one, one, something has to happen to cause you to want to buy it. The other one is just like, well, here it is. It makes you smile and that's much lower friction and you're much more likely to share it. And there's, there's nothing standing in the way of like someone else clicking it. Like it's not like they have to pay a 99 cents every time they want to read an article or something. Right. And it fits, and it fits the business model because uh, advertisers want to be associated with stuff that makes you smile. Like they, they, the whole idea is to create, like you have that, that pot, like you have that positive endorphin release while you're seeing a Snickers logo or, or bar or something like that. Right. And like, and it's building this, this implicit subconscious positive association with a brand. And yeah, it sounds really voodoo-y and like strange, but this is like, this is a big part of how brand brand marketing works. It's, it's not about getting you to buy right now it's so that next time you're standing at 7-eleven and uh you see that snickers bar oh i i i could go for one and and like and you don't even realize the the impact and why you grabbed it but but for sure it worked yeah i it's it's all it's all sunshine until you like start telling me about how i'm i'm buying like processed sugary food because BuzzFeed's so good. And then I'm like, God damn it. I had, I had to, uh, that was like the, uh, what is the other sugar rush? And then the, uh, what's after a sugar rush? <laughs> the uh, sugar crash. The sugar crash. Yeah. That was your, that was your BuzzFeed crash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you brought me down off my BuzzFeed high pretty quickly there. Um, when it's in, um, shifting gears a little bit, um, uh. did you see the, uh, did you see the, the Amazon, but the Amazon dash thing? Amazon Dash? No. So uh, the, or Dash button. Yeah. So basically the, the, the idea is um, imagine if you, if you had your, your wash machine and you can stick like a button on there that has a Tide logo and, and you're using, you're washing your clothes and you're running low, you press the button and it has just ordered you a new, a new box of, oh, of dishwasher detergent. No way. Um, so, uh, <laughs> This like, I think this is potentially like the most brilliant thing that Amazon has done in years. Like uh, I am an yeah. unabashed fan. Um, and the, the, the most like, 
you talk about advertising, brand advertising. One of the, one of the mm-hmm. biggest areas for brand advertising is CPG goods, consumer packaged goods. And these are the goods that um, you use all the time. So it'd be Tide dishwasher detergent, could be shampoo, could be mm. bounty paper towels, could be like all this sort of stuff you buy for your house. I mean, the consumer mm-hmm. packaged goods. Uh, and the reason why brand advertising is really important here, why they spend a ton of money, like the biggest brand advertisers are CPG companies, uh, beer companies, and car companies. Um mm-hmm is you, yeah, you don't sell much at a time, but it's like a lifetime annuity on a product, right? If once you start using Tide detergent, you're likely to use Tide detergent like for the rest of your life. Right. And and like getting someone to spend 10, 15 bucks every couple months for the rest of their life is uh, a pretty good business, pretty yeah. good business to be in. I mean, there's also the element that, that they're relatively commodities. Like there's no big difference. I mean, there are, I'm sure there are some differences, but there's no big differences. And once you start, you just don't stop. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and, and so, and so what's, 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 what's great about this is, um, so Amazon's, this is a big reason they've pushed into CPG stuff in general, even though like, if you think about it, it's pretty expensive to ship. Um, like the stuff tends to be kind of big and bulky. Uh, but it's that, potential of getting the, 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 the kind of lifetime annuity aspect to mm. selling it. And so Amazon to date, I think their main thing with selling this stuff has been subscriptions. So you could mm. subscribe to get uh, a box of detergent every month. Um, the, and then you get a discount if you did the subscription, but I never, like, I, I'm a huge no. Amazon prime fan. When I live, when I live in the States, I actually still have prime, even though I don't even live in the States because I will, when I'm, when I'm home for whatever I'm in the States, like I will order enough to justify it. And when, when we lived in the States, like we did like over 300 orders a year or something insane like that. Like we would order everything through Amazon, but I never did the subscription because it was, it was a lot of pressure. It's like, yeah, I didn't want to get into a situation where I had like too much detergent. I don't know. It yeah, just felt- you, you have to figure out how much you're going to use for it to be effective. And who wants to figure out how, <laughs> ma- how much they, how much friggin' detergent they use every month? Right, exactly. So, so the reason we ordered a lot is because I I loved, like I was very early on the, like they had the barcode scanner, right? So I'd be brushing my teeth down the last one, scan it, order it. Um, but still of quite a bit of friction, right? You have to pull out your phone, you have to unlock mm-hmm. it, you have to open the app, you have to scan it. Um, you know, I still thought it was better than going to the store, but it's still, it's still like, I would have been all over this button thing. Um, and the, and like, and obviously you have to have prime and we, we know that prime drives, uh, dramatically increased purchase volume. Certainly was the case for me personally. Uh, and to, to tap, like we said it before, said about the watch, like you cannot, you cannot underestimate the value of reducing friction. Like even if it's just little bits of friction and um, obviously there's a lot of friction in setting this up and getting it working. Uh, you have to have an app, you have to use the app and I'm sure it's going to be a little complicated at first, but man, the, like at least theoretically, the idea of this is incredibly compelling. It, it absolutely is. I mean, you hear about the the vision of people having smart fridges that figure out when you're running low on stuff and then reorders and like the amount of friction involved in setting that up and everything that needs to work for that to work is crazy. But I can see a clear path between here and now. And it's it's a it's an easy path. Like you get the button. Exactly. It's simple. Yeah. It's it's and yeah. I mean, they, they have like, they, they also have like an API, like dish replenishment or something so that uh, appliance makers can build in this thing. So you have like, oh. so you have like a coffee bean thing. 
and the oh, coffee wow. beans going well to order. I think that again, I think that's compelling. But I I love the button, and the reason I love the button is um, as a consumer, I love the idea of still feeling in control. You know, and like not like yes, probably computers would be better at it, but like I'm just not sure that people want computers to live their life for them. Like people want computers to make their lives easier. Mm. And I think that there's a, there's a, that's, that sounds close, but I think there's a, a distinction there. And I think Mm. this button idea lands on the making life easier for you divide. And that's why I think it's just so compelling. I I absolutely agree. I I do think, so I I absolutely agree. I, I think that the natural tendency of a lot of, uh, tech companies would be to focus on that end state of like, let's build the API and they will come. And maybe eventually they will get there. People will get there. People will start using it. And I could think, I'm sure there are some pretty cool use cases. Your your point just then notwithstanding. But what's cool about this is, I, I think what often happens is tech companies forget about the, the landing, they're always thinking about the expanding, the scaling up. Or or you had a, an analogy previously of like a pilot light and then a gas ring. And this is just a really cool pilot light for this idea of just getting people used to the idea of like, you need something, hit the button, and two days later, it's at your doorstep. Yeah, no, well, for sure. And why, but I mean, I think it's, a, it's an end game too. I mean, like if Amazon can actually capture CPG purchases, in a significant number of homes and not just that, but then, I mean, and this is a great demo, right? I mean, you have someone come, someone comes over to the house, they see this on the refrigerator or whatever, like, Oh, what's that? Oh, I touched the button and boom. It's, it's like, it's, it has the potential to spread in a way that prime itself doesn't like, I can tell you how awesome it is to have prime and you just order stuff without thinking about it. But this is a very, very tangible evidence of the, the value that prime provides. And then once you get people doing it, then, uh, then again, you get, you get them buying lots of stuff, higher value stuff. And by the way, it's not a bad business selling a box detergent every month for the rest of someone's life. Oh, it's a great business. So I have, um, I have two qualms with it. One is the idea that there's going to be a button for every kind of CPG good in my house. Like I start to check out a little bit at that point. <laughs> the, se- the second qualm is thinking back to seven-year-old me and, you know, I have a fight with my mom. Hi, mom. And, you know, <laughs> I decide to walk into the laundry and press the tide button 50 times. To well, so so the, the, default, <laughs> the default is it only, it only sends one. Oh, um, until Amazon, the yeah. seven-year-old in me is really disappointed in that. No, I, I, for sure. I mean, it, you can see uh, it would look weird having this stuff all over the place. But then again, um, I mean, you could put them all inside the cupboard door or something like that. Um, well, I, I wonder whether um, what I wonder whether is um, whether CPG manufacturers start building a very cheap version of that button into their products. Yeah, that, I mean, that'd be, I mean, the cost has got, I mean, because the way it works is it's, I mean, it has Wi-Fi in it, so it connects to your Wi-Fi network. Uh-huh. And that, and so the cost has to be, um, the way, and Amazon's giving it for free, but the way they give, the reason they give it for free, it's a marketing cost, right? Yeah, it's It's right. to, like, it's to trigger, it's like spending money on brand marketing. You'll make it up in purchases over time. Um, so, yeah, maybe someday. I think that's probably a ways in the future where you'll have disposable Wi-Fi devices. Um, it, yeah, maybe it's Bluetooth or something. But, uh, I mean, I, I I could see a future where every time Amazon dispatches you a, a thing of Tide, they put a cheap 
Internet of Things type sensor on the top of the Tide button and they say running low, just press the button. It's preloaded. We know that that's your that's your tide or whatever. I don't know exactly how it would communicate, but they know who they're sending uh, it to. Details, could, details. Yeah, details, you know, <laughs> details. But like they know who they're sending it to. You're overthinking and, it. You're, you're, you're doing the tech guy thing. Like this, yeah, stick a button on your washing machine. Yeah, yeah. Do okay. it once. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you got uh, me. No, but I, it, com- no, I was complaining about it not, not two minutes ago and look at me. No, it's fascinating though. Like it, it's such the... It's such the human inclination. I do this all the time too, to, to complicate stuff, right? Over-engineer. Yeah. And like, and, and so you make two mistakes and this is the trigger about finding, not you, you, the general you. Maybe yeah, yeah, problem. Yeah. I always call it, say you, but they're talking to you. Um, like f- the first mistake is to uh, not iterate enough, to not, like, to not get the nut of something, right? And, uh, and you, actually, you have to go and push and push and push to have the breakthrough and this is what it is. And then you need to build that up, but you need to know when to stop, right? Yeah. And 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 finding that balance between, like, for sure, you need to get to the purest iteration idea. Like, there's this. Have you seen the the Picasso, the lithograph Picasso and the Bull? I have not. Yeah, this is a big thing. Like in at Apple University, like this is one of their favorite things. Um, but it's where. Picasso draws a bull and then he it's like I think nine or might be 12 versions of the bull and everyone is is getting more to the essence of the bull and the last one is depicting a bull with like five lines um and the way the first one is this muscular like very detailed uh uh sort sort of thing and and the idea was like anything that you do you need to uh you need to get to the essence and then you can add on but if you don't have that essence, you're doomed. And then once you add on, then it's about all about finding the balance between what's right, what's right and what's not. Hmm. That's a, that's a powerful metaphor. So the other news with Amazon, um, was the Amazon home service. Yeah. This, this made a lot of sense. It really did. Yeah. So basically the, the idea with Amazon home service is, um, if you order something that requires installation, so it could be, I mean, it could be a TV, it could be a washing machine, it could be like something that requires someone to come and put it in or to service it, they will uh, have a network of people and it's only in four cities, I think, to start. And basically, so what happens is once you buy it, there'll be a list saying, oh, it looks like you need someone to install it. Here's a list of recommended people. Um, it will cost $80 costs $150 or like, and they'll have like the price set and you can buy it right then. And Such then the, a good idea. And then the person will come and, and do it for you. And you know, the price and Amazon is basically, uh, guaranteeing trust because they're putting their name behind it. And, um, and yeah, and then that, that's, that's the idea. It's somewhere between Angie's List and what Best Buy did with Geek Squad. You know, like people people don't just want a television; they want an experience. But the, the, there's there's all that setup and pain between buying the television and getting the experience. And this is the last piece of the puzzle, right? I mean, there, there's uh, the other thing is it's like this is like the ultimate marketing channel, right? I mean, if Google had the had the previous best marketing channel, where uh, if you search for uh, you know, washing machine installer on Google, they can get a lot of money because it's very likely you are about to pay a high fee for a washing machine installer. Mm-hmm. And, but here, so it's not just that it's 
a very good chance you're going to get someone. Amazon knows for a fact that you need someone. Like it's like they are with they're already at the bottom of the funnel. Like it's the most finely targeted ad ever, um, which is super compelling. And uh, it, are they are they charging the service? How is what's the do you know what the business model looks like? Yeah, so they take I think up to a certain amount. They take twenty percent. I think on really large ones, they take fifteen percent. Mm. Or it, it might be it might be flipped on that. And then for anything that's recurring, they take ten percent. So, uh, so the, the the benefit for the contractor is um, it's a guaranteed stream of business, right? Mm. Uh, th- that it's a great channel. So you're probably making less per install than you would independently, but you're going to get more volume. Way more volume, right? I mean, theoretically, anyway. I think. I mean, it's it very narrowly. It's super compelling. I do think there's a lot of like, I do have a lot of questions on how it's going to actually yeah. work in practice. Um. One is uh, like, how can you like one? How is Amazon going to guarantee? Like the reason, one reason so compelling is they're lending their name and brand to these mm. independent contractors, right? Like, how are they going to to guarantee quality? Um, you know, you get, and yes, you can get to an Uber type rating sort of system and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure they'll do that, but it's something where um, you know, they're just going to they're going to have to really think carefully about how that works and it's gonna and how are they gonna manage that are they gonna have people on the ground like uh, vetting these people um what what did you say earlier ben details yeah (laughs) the other thing too is like they want to do these this preset price list so oh you need this install it'll cost x but Uh, there's so many variances and stuff that in stuff that you have to install right what if you want to install um, a deck, right? And this is an example in the articles. Like, and like some are, it's like flat ground. It's super straightforward. Some are like some are rocky hillside, right? And and the cost, like, there's a reason why contractors usually do estimates first. Mm. Um, and that's because, yeah, I mean, no one wants to get feel like they got ripped off on either side. Mm. I, I mean, I'm sure there are precedents for this. So, I, I mean, I imagine they've looked at Best Buy and how they managed to do pricing. Um, Right, but, but it's, it's a, a computer is a computer, right? I mean, yes, right. They can go wrong in amazing ways. At the end of the day, you could just blow everything away and reinstall oh, Windows. Yeah, but like, like uh, absolutely. But like going into someone's house and installing a Sonos sound system across many rooms, for example, is not necessarily something that's easy to. I, I'm sure there are instances of people who've tried to standardize pricing they can learn from. Nevertheless, again, your point's well made. The the bigger point I think that's interesting is we've had a lot of praise for for Amazon here and and. I've gone back and forth on the bull bear thing as I think has been well documented. Um, and I think in many respects, these two examples capture why I'm so conflicted about the company. Mm. And the reason is um, like the thing to understand about Amazon is they're different. They're, they're different from an Apple. Like people always thought, Oh, I focus and blah, blah, blah. Like am, the way Amazon is, is Amazon is a portfolio of lots of companies that have interconnected dependencies and technologies. So they can build the technology stack. Once they can build, uh, they have all this stuff that stuff like bundles and works with each other, but these are all standalone companies. Home services is a company. The dot program is a company. The CPG store is a company, the store, and they're all like their own units. They have their own P and L's. They have their own vendor managers. They have their own, like all this sort of stuff. And the idea is it's, it's almost like an, a self-contained incubator where they've set up a thing so that they find stuff that works. It generates cash and they invest that cash in building up other stuff and seeing if it works. And they just keep exploring and expanding stuff. And yes, yeah, some stuff fails publicly. 
um, but other stuff succeeds. And, um, and I think these are both, these are examples of, of the benefit of that sort of approach. It's interesting. So why are you conflicted about it? Well, the reason I'm conflicted is um, the, 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 the concern, like, in many respects, the reason why makes what makes Amazon very compelling, I think, from an investment side and from a business side is uh, uh, being a marketplace is a very lucrative place to be, right? Mm. Like, because especially if you're a multi-sided market, which Amazon is, they have mm. they have uh, suppliers on one hand, they have third-party merchants, and they have customers, and now they have like contractors, right? They're they're adding sides to their to their marketplace, and that's super compelling. And, and you build up that market, and it's like the Facebook model, right? You get Facebook has everyone creating Facebook has, has uh, over a billion people creating the most compelling content in the world for free. Right. Like that's, that's why they are so powerful. And the most powerful marketplaces have people exchanging billions of dollars and they're just skimming off the top. And, and in both cases, they're powerful because of the network effects that come from having all these people in one place. The, the thing with Amazon, though, is they're, they're uh, over time less than like because of the way they're integrating up and down the stack, like into, into delivery, into logistics and back even up to supplies like they did an experiment making baby diapers for a while, which, it, you know, exploded. Um, <laughs> but uh, and, and now the into, into like creating hardware for ordering stuff like it's compelling, but it's also it's also losing the kind of fluidity and flexibility and leverage you get from being more of a pure marketplace. And like you say, something like Alibaba, for example, Alibaba is much more of a, we're going to let people meet and then sort out themselves and we'll take a skim off the top. And there's an asset to that. That's, that's more resilient. I feel like Amazon is, is investing so much and going up and down the stack that one, they're limiting their growth potential. Like this, the more they get integrated up on the stack between logistics, all the way up to supply and to installation, the more they're kind of walking and doubling down on the markets that they're in. Like this is, it gets harder and harder to export that into other markets. And you see Amazon is, is not a very international company, um, relative, uh, relative, relatively speaking. So when you said it expanded into other markets, I thought you were meaning things other than CPG or things other than what they're selling on the site. But what you're talking about is geographic. Yeah, ge- geographic. And and in some respects, Amazon is is um a is a high end retailer. And you don't think of that way. You think of them as being like the, the cheap, low cost competitor. But they're what th- this sort of stuff that they're doing is for the middle, upper middle, or middle class consumer in the United States, which relative to the whole world is quite rich. Um, and they're selling this like complete convenience and taking care of all the logistics of your life, um, which is compelling, but they're doing it from a, a state of relatives, again, relatively speaking, financial weakness where they're building up and making all these investments, uh, and, and leveraging themselves tremendously. And if anything goes wrong, uh, it it's it it could be more catastrophic than if they had a more sort of flexible business model. If that makes sense, hmm. it it does. So so the 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 criticism of it is that they're basically fortress America. Is that what I'm hearing? That if if they were focused more on the marketplace, that what they learn and what they could 
they what they could export would potentially work in other markets whereas because they're integrating up and down their geographic focus is is such that if something there's a hiccup from an economic perspective in the states for example it makes them more exposed now that that is a that is a concern i don't know why i with that i think the bigger concern is they're spending a, a a tremendous amount of money on on capital investment on uh, not just fulfillment centers, but also new distribution centers. Uh, they're experimenting with actual delivery. Like right now with the, with, with their, with their uh, distribution centers, which are even more local than their kind of, or the sortation centers, I think are the even smaller ones. Like they can get a package to, if you live in certain areas, they can get the package to within like 20 miles of your house. And then the, let's have the post office deliver it. Mm. Um, and the problem is, this is great for having an amazing service, but they're spending a lot of money. They're leveraging themselves. They took out a big debt issue last December. Uh, they're financing a lot of this stuff through capital leases instead of like upfront capital. So they brag about their free cash flow, but that the free cash flow doesn't include future capital leases, right? Mm. The re- the whole point of free cash flow. So we're going to just go technical quick. Um, on your balance sheet, your income statement, which Amazon says to ignore, uh, the reason why it's it's kind of a fake number, and the reason it's a fake number is say, um, so say say I, I was actually really technical about my books, which I'm not. I need to get better at it. And say I buy a computer this year, and I spend uh, fifteen hundred dollars on the computer, and I say I'm going to use the computer for three years. The way you calculate that when you're doing your balance sheets is you you put five hundred dollars for each year. And so the impact on my bottom line is $500 for three years. As in you depreciate it for five Right, ex- exactly. Yeah. And so that's a very small example, but you take that, imagine building a data center. The idea is if you're mm-hmm. spending five or $50 million, whatever it is, you spread that out, you a- amortize it over the, um, the lifetime of the expected, expected use. Mm-hmm. And th- this is just how, so when you hear people reporting their net income or their income in their financial results, it's using this methodology. Mm-hmm. Free cash flow, on the other hand, measures actually how much cash went in and out. So my my cash flow statement for the year would include a fifteen hundred dollar outflow of cash because I actually mm-hmm. spent the money on the cash this year. Yep. So that's and so Amazon says, oh, look at our free cash flow. Look at our free cash flow, and and their free cash flow is is always positive, although it's been going down. Um. What they're doing, though, with a lot of the recent investment is they're using capital leases. Capital leases are, we agree this this data center costs $30 million and we're, our expected use is three years. We're going to pay $10 million a year for three years. The problem with that is uh, that doesn't show up on the cash flow. But the... the uh, and when you get to the actual year that that is calculated, it goes under the line because it's a it's an investment. It's it's, it's debt. It's basically debt investment. It doesn't go into your net income statement, and so it, it's there. But you have to look for it. And the idea is, um, the free cash flow like helps you understand the like the resiliency of the business in many respects. Like how much cash they actually have on hand. Can they deal with stuff that happens? Um, the problem with Amazon is they're locking up future cash flow in a way that makes their current cash flow statement looks be- look better than it might otherwise be. And that's why they took out a huge debt issuance last year because they're, even though their cash flow is positive, why are they taking on debt? Because their commitments, um, 
are actually great. Yeah. They actually are spending more than they are taking in. So they're boasting around their free cash flow as if they purchased the computer up front. But what's really happening is that they've pur- they're purchasing the computer as they use it and their free cash flow in the future is going to be impacted as a result. Of right. That. And it's very much a startup sort of mentality, which Amazon likes to say that they are, even though they're 20 years old now or whatever. But where you're, the reason they're doing it is because they are counting on the fact that next year we will our, our cash flow will increase to the point where we can make these payments without a problem. Does uh, it, uh, the, the thing about it is, though, that the businesses, like you described it as like an incubator model, the businesses that are throwing off lots of cash are relatively mature and un, unlikely to decline. If, if maybe that right, growth but might they're, slow but, down. They're, but they're banking on cash on increase, right? They're banking okay. on growth because as is now their, their cash flow, if you include these capital leases, if you count for them as a normal capital purchase, mm-hmm. and sorry, we're probably losing like half our audience here, but if you count for them as a normal cash purchase, uh, their cash flow would be negative. Because oh, wow. And, and so they're counting on growth. And so the problem is, one, what if that growth doesn't happen? Or if something happens, right? If something goes wrong, um, like can they handle an emergency? Um, but then two, uh, the other problem is from what I understand, their best still, the, the business that throw off the most cash are things like books and DVDs and CDs, which they still sell a lot of. And a lot of their other businesses drive a lot of revenue, but they also don't, they drive very little incremental profit because they're, you know, they're selling commodities. They're selling when they're selling that tide detergent, they're competing against Walmart. And they can't really price it that much higher. And so I like these moves because they're incre- like you can make pennies off of a very small profit margin if you sell enough of it. And I like that mm-hmm. this is getting that direction. But to me, the my nervous about the company is not that I don't love the company. I think it's a great company. Um, I love being a customer of the company. I don't know if I'd like being a supplier. Um, but it makes me nervous from an investment perspective just because it seems really risky. And that's even beyond the fact you're buying the stock at a massive premium relative mm. relative to profits and stuff. And I'm not sure how, where those actually materialize. And that's, that's my, like, I love the company. I like what they're doing. I'm glad they're pushing the envelope. I'm glad they exist. I'm glad they have the philosophy they do. Um, I just, I would, this is not investment advice. I would be super nervous about in, investing in the company. And that's, that's the bearish part of me. Yeah, no, I mean, the, it's, it's funny the extent to which you have to go digging through financial statements to really understand what's happening. And I, like Bezos and co always boast about their free cash flow. What you very rarely hear is that kind of analysis that you just described. If you, if you were to treat the, uh, the capital leases like capital purchases, how that free cash flow would actually be negative. Yeah, it was actually a guy that uncovered it. Um, I'll include the link in it. Um, but it, 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 Amazon, like, because fi- basically Amazon put in a slide in their final earnings result where they basically finally fessed up to this. It was there. It, it was looking back, it was possible to discover this, but almost impossible. But mm. I think the reason they fessed up is, is because it was part of that big debt raise that they did last year. They, I'm sure that was a, they had to disclose better disclose the risk factors. Um, but no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's compelling. And, but you think about what Amazon is doing and this is why you still want to be bullish about them because what they're doing is they're building all these lifetime revenue streams, right? You buy detergent, you buy it forever. AWS, you, you build your company in AWS 
Like you're not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, theoretically you could, but there's a reason why you know Dropbox Net- and Netflix and are ne- still yeah. on there. I mean, they're paying right. a lot of money uh, f- to have their stuff on there, but but for good reason. And and AWS is so cool. It's almost like a it's like a way for Amazon to get a piece of every hot startup. Right. You know, because like the, if the startup if the startup blows up, Amazon will just collect lots of lots of fees from them. Um, and but then but then you're like. But then it's a lot of money to compete in that space, man. Data centers are really expensive. Uh, and you have Microsoft and Google with huge just cash positions that are, you know, five to eight times the size of Amazon's. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's a fascinating company. I don't, honestly, the reason, biggest reason I don't write about it more than I do is mm-hmm. just because it's, it really is, you know, what's the word? An enigma wrapped in a mystery. Wrap, yeah. I mean, it, it's, I don't know. I, I it, it, it's, it's less that it's more. You can kind of see what they're doing. It, I don't know. And the, the the fire the I don't know the phone thing really concerned me too, just because it would seem so hubristic. Well, um, yeah, you read accounts of the way Bezos behaves, and it's like the extent of the focus, and then the what what turned out the other side, and it 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 was almost like. This man has hit so many things out of the park, and yet put so much focus on this. And you're like, "Hang on, what was he thinking?" Yeah, well, I mean, it's what again. This is a classic. Like you can see why they feel they ought to have a phone. Like it's one of those things. Like there's so many stuff that makes sense theoretically, strategically. Like of course, of course, like it's a problem if they're if they're you know the whole thing I talked about before. You have to open your phone and dig into the app and go down blah 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 blah. And with Fire Phone, theoretically, you just press a button and you scan the barcode. And boom, it's done, right? Like having an Amazon phone would make buying that stuff much more frictionless, and you wouldn't need to worry about Google shoving in Google Shopping or whatever competitor like they. Have. That's 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 the battle to watch is Google versus Amazon. Um you know, you talk about Amazon, like having a better search method for service installers. Like that's what Google's terrified of is, is people starting and ending searches on Amazon and never going through Google in the first place. Right. Uh, but, uh, but like the brand, the reason people go to Amazon, it, it's built a brand around like it, like, like value, value for money. You don't go there for the best experience. You go there for a frictionless experience. That's quick and easy. And they, they got, I mean, you even see that in their devices to a certain extent, right? It's value. You you buy one of these Kindle Fires because you get a color thing. It connects to the Amazon store. You can give it to your kids. It's cheap. It works. But they just went. They went deep left field with this phone. It's right? really it's really bad. I got a chance to use one when I was back in the states last time. It's it it's it's really bad. Um, the thing with the Fire, I mean, I actually liked the Fire, even the version one that came out that everyone kind of dumped on. Because and what I liked about it was. I loved the buying experience, the the mm. way that it intermingled renting shows and, and buying shows. Like it was, Oh yeah, I want to watch that. You click it, boom, you're watching it. And you, I just spent like $4 like in it, like people, people in tech, I think in particular are kind of allergic to asking people to spend money, but uh, spending money is like, people like spending money. They like buying stuff as long as they feel like they feel like they're getting a deal. They feel like mm. they're getting value. Like and there's a there's a great there's a good article about um how uh I was kind of depressing but uh how people more and more like shopping for fun online is like uh, like a a hobby 
and because people in in, in talking about like the psychological way that it works and it's fun to feel like you found a cool deal and people just accumulating tons of clothes that they've never worn and stuff like that um mm. which is kind of depressing and it fills up landfills and it's bad for that but the psychology angle of it is is very real and amazon when they're like i can totally picture if i had this button like for sure i'm gonna get a little thrill every time i press that damn button right even though i just spent 15 dollars, 20 dollars, right because it's it's cool and it's it's you get to like luxuriate in the convenience and and of of what you of what you just did, and like that's Amazon's Amazon's good at that stuff. And I think what they forgot and what Facebook forgot back when they did their phone back in the day is the problem with a smartphone is that's people's lives. And yeah. I love Amazon where it fits in my life, but that doesn't mean Amazon is my life. Uh, Facebook, I mean, if, if Facebook couldn't build a phone, I don't know what Amazon any business thinking they had a chance because Facebook is much more of the typical person's life than any other service on the internet. But people still want more. And uh, that's what, you know, that's why a smartphone is, it is, a smartphone is your life. And it, whoever built it, it has to be a platform, not, not a, a singular sort of, sort of service. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. It's interesting the distinction between a tablet and a phone in that regard because the fire seems well suited to what they do, where it's media consumption. Like yeah, that makes no. that makes lots of sense. But like I, I don't want a phone for media consumption. Right. I will I will consume media on my phone, but yeah, it, that that difference in, in ordering matters. A lot. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we we've been we've uh, been rounding about this time. We did we, we did not we did not talk about title, but that's okay. Um, we kind of like I said we kind of touched on it last week. I think the thing that's fascinating and almost like I almost want to write one more, but I feel like I, well, I've written like three media articles in a row. I wrote about um, uh, the publishers and Facebook. I wrote about uh, the the TV industry, and I wrote about the music industry. And the thing is, they're all kind of the same article, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 about the the collapsing the distance between the suppliers and and the, the between supply and demand right. and the way that plays out and what what role there is and might be for the people in the middle and it differs it differs based on how easy the content is consumed how differentiated the content is how much it costs um but it's all the same sort of thing and again i think this is the story of the internet it's it's it, it's the reordering and remaking of everything in the middle and amazon is absolutely a huge story in this as is BuzzFeed for that matter. Right. Yeah, it was, yes, I, I, we could go deep down the rabbit hole on title. Cause I, I, like you thought that it was, it's a really interesting idea that everyone dismissed completely out of hand. And I think the nature, I mean, one thing you left out in that description of, uh, 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 of uh, like the cost and so on is the nature of the, the relationship between the suppliers. And I think, or, or the players in the value chain and the 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 way that the the music industry is structured makes something like title very difficult to pull off but i was thinking about uh, back to applying some of what they were doing to perhaps the news industry and it's like oh well unlike music that could actually work yeah no what yeah it could it could maybe but the problem is there's way more supply uh you know, there's a lot more great writers out there than there are great musicians. Um, and, uh, and the other thing is the structure, it matters that the structure is already, 
already there, that the labels yeah. already exist. Like, cause nothing, lots of industries will, will look different today if we started from zero, uh-huh. but, but what, what already exists will absolutely shape what comes in the future just because it, the starting position matters. Such a good point. Such a good point. Cool. Well, uh, I think we managed along again, but I think that's probably a good place to the starting point matters. And as does the ending point. <laughs> Very good. Uh, fantastic conversation as always. Thank you. Sounds good. I will talk to you later. See you mate. Bye. <laughs>